Today we are concluding our sermon series, What the Bible is All About, Finding Ourselves in the Story. And I want to do just a quick recap of what we've talked about the last several Sundays as Doyle's preached. You'll see the sermon titles up on the screen. Doyle began in mid-August by looking at the four Gospels collectively and the story of Jesus and the reminder that Jesus really is the point. Jesus is the good news. And if we miss that, we've missed it. Um, and so that lesson was completely about remembering Jesus is the reason um, that we celebrate, and a personal experience with him is the core of Christianity. In the second sermon, uh, Doyle looked at the first half of the book of Acts and the early church, the early believers, and kind of the patterns by which they lived, the traits, and he reminded us of four things that we can pull from that, and those were total commitment, sacrificial love, courageous and contagious faith, and patience and joy in the face of persecution and suffering. And he challenged us to, to, to today uh, live those four things out as well in our life. On the third sermon, Doyle looked at Paul's missionary journeys and uh, the idea that we don't always know where things are going, right? Paul didn't know where he was going to end up. He trusted along the way. And that really is the key for us, to trust and obey, um, even when we don't know where things are headed. Last week, Doyle looked at um, the letters from Paul to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians, and the message that he pulled from that is something we can completely relate to today, and that is church is messy. We are messy. We're sinful. We disappoint one another. Uh, But we serve a Savior who is perfect and who doesn't disappoint us. And as long as our hope and faith is in him, we can do life together even when it's messy. So today, I get to finish up the sermon series, Martyrs and Minions and the Rest of Us. We're going to look at the book of Hebrews, and I want to give you just a background of of that before we move on. Um, It's considered an epistle, but it's really more like a sermon or word of exhortation. Um, It's a little bit different, a little different voice than all the other uh, letters that are in Scripture. And the best guess on time, you'll see the timeline that we've looked at each Uh, Sunday during this series, is that Acts was written sometime between 60 and 95 AD. So there's a little bit of a span there, but we're not quite sure when. But we do know that it was in that time period. We don't know to whom it was written. We don't know the church, where it was located. And we don't know where the writer of it was located. We also don't really know who the writer of Hebrews was. There's a lot of just different ideas on who it might be. um, But most scholars would say it's anonymous. We don't know who it was, but we do know that he was a preacher and that this was a church that he was in relationship with, and he was currently apart from them and hoped to return to them. The other setting we know about Hebrews is that the church was facing persecution during that time. So the backdrop for all of uh, this letter to them is that you know, things were getting worse, and, and the pastor knew this, and he was encouraging them. And he could kind of pick up on the congregation that they were tired. They were exhausted. For a lot of different reasons. Exhausted of being the weird religious cult in town. You know, the new thing that no one really accepted and friends were being persecuted. Tired of being spiritually faithful and not really seeing what they thought were going to be the rewards that came from that. Tired of doing the right thing. Tired maybe even of Jesus a little bit, even if it was brand new. They were just worn down. And the author was worried that as things got worse, if they were worn down and worn out, they were going to quit. And so he's writing to encourage them, to remind them of who they follow, Jesus, and how they can continue to faithfully follow him. So that's the setting for the part of Hebrews that we're going to look at today. So if you'll turn in your scripture to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 29. 
And this is after, in, in chapter 11, um, he has done, the, the author, the preacher, has gone through a great roll call of faith. And he spent a lot of time on some key people. And then we get to verse 29. And so here's what we're looking at. By an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptians tried it and drowned. By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days, and the walls fell flat. By an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, and sword thrust, turned disadvantage to advantage, won battles, routed alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and go free, preparing for something, preferring something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood. Stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins. Homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them. Making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole, their lives of faith not complete, apart from ours. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on? It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there, in the place of honor, right alongside God. The word of God for the people of God. Some of you probably remember the movie Dead Poets Society. It, it uh, starred the wonderful um, Robin Williams. Williams played a high school teacher, John Keating, who taught in an all-boys private high school. And uh, part of his dream was making these students realize um, the possibilities of life. And so there's one great scene in the movie, there's a lot of them, but one significant one in which Keating takes his class uh, out of their classroom and down to a foyer in the building. And on the wall are all these pictures of generations past of students, uh, the ones who have come before them over the years. And he asked them to look at these pictures of these boys and said, they were just like you. They had ambitions, they had goals and dreams. He said, I want you to lean in. Because they have a message to share with you. So all the boys leaned into the picture. And Keating whispers, Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Whenever I read chapter 
11 of Hebrews. I feel like I'm in Keating's class. I'm one of the boys there. And the author is the teacher now, and he's saying, come look at all these portraits of the ones who have come before us. Portraits of Abraham and Moses and David and Samson. Look at them. They have a message for you. Lean in. And so we lean in, and we hear them say, don't quit. Keep running. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't quit. Keep running. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Each one of those faith heroes that has been mentioned in the scripture and in what Nick and Riley read earlier are these portraits on the wall for us, these ones who have gone before us who are part of this great chain of witness. And there's one author who describes it as a great unbroken cord of faith that stretches all the way from the beginning of human history to the heavenly sanctuary in the city of God where the cords have been securely fastened and anchored by Jesus. The links are formed by faithful people, hand in hand, generation after generation, holding fast to each other and to our confession. Regardless of your life, regardless of your savings account, regardless of how many friends on Facebook, regardless if you're a newbie to the faith or not, you're part of this great cord, this unbroken chain that goes throughout history. And just as the author encourages those in Hebrews, the letter to Hebrews, by reminding them of the faithful ones who've gone before them, God uses us to encourage one another and to remind those who have still yet to come, those coming behind us. Pastor pastor and author Paul David Tripp writes that embedded in the larger story of redemption is a principle we must not miss. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Moses is the God of faithful people who have influenced you, who've taught you about God. And we know God because we've met God in them and also other people. You know God because of the God of Susan or Jim or Carl. They helped us to know who God is. And God knows, knew that we would need to see that in the flesh. And God also provided a living human being for us to see what God is like. And God continues to do that today in each one of us as part of this great story. Now after the great roll call of faith through chapter 11, the author switches it up at the beginning of chapter 12. If you read some translations, it says, therefore, which means that something came before. We've talked about that before. Doyle mentions that. Therefore means something before. And it's this reminder that therefore, since there is such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since there are all these ones who have come before us, these veterans, these great ones, roll call of faith, now we do something. Now, when people read the race, the, the running metaphor, sometimes they think of a marathon, but I always think of like a relay race with a baton. And like I just picture like, you know, Noah and Moses and Abraham passing this baton through the ages. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to the congregation, now it's your turn. Now you're in the relay and the baton is being passed to you or has been passed to you. And what are you going to do with that? Now, I could try and describe to you today about how to pass a baton, but I've never done that. That would involve running. And so I have never done that. But I have two of my students who have done that, so I asked them if they would come and explain it. So I actually called Haley. This is Haley Watson on your left, and this is Lexi Stoll. They're both seniors and on the Jays track team. 
And I called Haley earlier on when I knew I was talking about the baton and stuff. Like, just explain to me uh, how the inner workings of passing a baton and receiving it. And she started doing that brilliantly. And then I was just like, hey, would you just come and tell them yourself? That would be so much better because I will obviously be faking it. So Haley's going to describe, with Lexi's help, the inner workings, the finer points of baton passing. So as Mel said, I'm going to kind of tell you the science behind a great um, handoff. So um, it all starts with um, one idea in mind, and that's the idea that you want to get the baton around the track for however many times you need to go um, and get it to the finish line with having clean exchanges and not dropping the baton. So um, what we're going to do for you today and what I'm going to tell you about is called a blind handoff, and that means you're not going to look at the person you're exchanging the baton to. You're just going to um, keep your head forward and trust that they're going to get the baton to. You might use this in like a 4 by one or a 4 by 2 race. So for the sake of this discussion, Lexi is runner one, and I'm runner two, and um, she's going to start out with the baton, and as she comes in, um, she'll, you know, go when the gun sounds, and she'll run her fastest as she can go, and I'm going to be in the exchange zone. The exchange zone is two triangles. Um, if this is a, we'll pretend this is a four-by-one at the 100-meter mark on the curb, and um, the first triangle is... Um, one spot, and then the second one is about 20 meters away, and you have that amount of time to exchange the baton. And if you don't get in that amount of time, your team is disqualified. So this is really crucial that um, you have a clean handoff, and you do it right, and you do it to where um, you don't slow down and lose seconds off of your overall race. So I keep my head forward. I don't look back, and I see Lexi coming. Well, first, I see Lexi coming down the track. Once she gets to a certain point, I know it's my time to start taking off and run. So I go ahead and I start running, and I have to match pace with Lexi because I don't want to slow down. Um, and if I go too slow, she'll run into me. But if I go too fast, I'll leave her behind, and we won't get that handoff. So it's really important that I match her pace exactly, and she comes in. I have to give her a good, clean target that's high up that she can just put the baton in, and I can start running. So um, I guess we'll kind of demonstrate that now. So I see Lexi. I see her. I look back, and then I run. She takes it, and I have it, and then I take off running. And it's a good, clean um, run and then Lexi's job is done but then it's my turn to do the exact same thing Lexi did for the next runner um, but after you're done with your leg of the race you kind of just have to trust that your teammates are going to get the baton across the finish line and that overall goal for your team um, you know, to finish the race and get a good time so it's just about trusting your teammates and practicing what you know how to do perfect, perfect give them a hand See, that was so much better than I would have explained. All right. They know it. They live it and stuff. And when we were talking about this, um, and I was just like, well, that will preach in so many different ways. That's what preachers say. That will preach. Uh, the whole idea of it in several different ways. The, the one, you know, receiving it, waiting for the handoff, waiting and trusting the people that are coming behind them, that they will keep the pace, that they will place it firmly in their hands so they can continue to race and win uh, the race for their, for their team. And a lot of times people that finish it get the credit, but, you know, it's that whole team together. Like if the ones in the middle don't keep pace, they don't keep the pace, they don't keep going, if they lag behind, that's going to affect the team. And if they don't prepare to give a clean handoff, to really pass that along to the next person, their team is affected as well. Every part of that team matters. They matter to the goal of running that race well. 
And for us, when we think about this and this passage with Hebrews, the ones who have come before us have run their race. They have kept the pace. They have made a clean handoff, and they are standing there now, cheering us on, a great cloud of witnesses, encouraging us, rooting us, seeing how we're going to do with this. What an awesome opportunity. Church, some of us, we're all at different places at the relay. Like some of you just got the baton, and you are energized and excited and running, and your energy feeds us. It inspires us. We need you to do that to help keep the pace. Some of you have not joined the rest yet, but you've been really inspired by people around you that you've seen running and the faithfulness they have to the God who they run for. And you're just thinking about maybe lacing up and getting in the race. It's worth it. It's worth it. A lot of us here today are ones who are in the middle part, right? We've been running. We've been running. And you can feel the burn. You can feel the exhaustion. It gets tiring keeping the faith, staying faithful, doing what Christ has done, living like him in the world. Some facing persecution, not here like the Hebrews, but in our world. And it gets overwhelming, and you want to stop. You want to slow down. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't quit. Keep running. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There are people coming behind you that need you to keep running. Keep the faith. When we get tired, the preacher reminds us, keep your eyes on Jesus. Watch how he did it. Watch how he ran. Look at his faithfulness and find energy in that as we run as well. When I was growing up, um, my dad and I listened to a, a musician, a Christian artist a lot. His name was Steve Green. He still sings today. Beautiful, powerful voice. And one of my favorite songs of his was Find Us Faithful. And um, I want to just share part of the lyrics of that song as we wrap up today, as we think about the charge that God would find us faithful. It says, We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road, and those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a steering testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light the way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives that we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us Find us faithful. Don't quit, church. Keep running. Keep your eyes on Jesus.